We hear this a lot in the Gospels. Follow me. Jesus just comes up to people like Peter and Andrew while they're in the middle of their work day. They're fishing, and he says, follow me. Matthew, the tax collector, at the tax collector's booth. Come on and follow me. He starts healing. People start hearing about Jesus. These two blind men just start following him. They hope to get healed. Spoiler alert, they get healed. People hear Jesus' teachings, and then crowds start to following him. He's like Forrest Gump when he's in that running montage. He's just doing his thing, and he looks behind him and realizes, wow, hey, there's a lot of people following me. But in the first century, becoming a follower of Jesus was more than just going to church or having a few more Bible verses show up on your social media feed. It was a major commitment, and it was also a major risk. We may not think about this that often, but pledging your allegiance to Jesus and saying Jesus is Lord is automatically saying Caesar is not Lord. And when the Roman Empire, the Roman authorities heard somebody make that declaration, it was like threat level midnight for them. It was, this was a major thing that we needed to quash right away. So Jesus understood that when he was calling his followers to follow him, they were taking a risk. He wasn't just inviting them to come to a nice weekend conference to, to hear him out, a little lunch break or a Q&A panel. This was calling people into a new way of life. Jesus, follow me, literally meant follow me around. People would leave behind their jobs. They would leave their towns. They would leave the plans that they'd already made, and they would follow Jesus. But it didn't just mean literally follow me, follow me around. It meant follow me in the uh, follow the leader sense. Do what I do. Watch me and see how I live. And what I want to spend time doing this morning is just listen to Jesus commanding his followers to imitate him in three specific ways. And those three ways are, I want you to imitate me in how I think. I want you to imitate me in how I pray. And I want you to imitate me in how I sacrifice. One, two, three. The first one we want to hear Jesus calling his followers to is, I want you to think like me. I want you to think the way that I think and respond to things, uh, situations in your life the way that I respond. To get an idea of what this sounds like when Jesus is teaching about rethinking your thinking, uh, I want to hear a series of passages from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, a section that you might know as the Sermon on the Mount. There are these... Uh, these statements that he makes where he says, you have heard that it was said, this is the common wisdom, but I tell you, and then he raises the stakes a little bit. So listen to what Jesus has to say. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he goes on to say, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. All you need to say is simply yes 
or no? Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you or take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Ups the ante. It's a higher standard. For my money, the best invention of the 21st century is the rapid fill water balloon device. The rapid fill self-sealing water balloon device. Raise your hand if you have seen this or if you have had the joy of getting to use this device. Man, it seems like a lot of folks are missing out. The old way of filling water balloons you might be familiar with. You buy a package of water balloons, you go into your bathroom, and you try to wrap the thing, uh, the little rubber around the sink. You turn it on. If you turn it on too hard, it goes flying everywhere, or the thing will break. I'd say like, like one out of every two water balloons you tried to fill up broke or got away from you somehow. This was a long and tedious process. It probably took like an hour to fill up 100 balloons. You know, you spend an hour filling up balloons, and it takes two minutes for the kids to all pelt each other with them. But somebody came up with this idea that you look at and you go, why didn't I think of this sooner? It's a little straw inside a water balloon with a rubber band. You turn on the, you turn on the hose, it fills up all these water balloons at once. You shake them loose into a bucket and you're in business. This was a revolutionary invention. This was a game changer. I am so thankful that this thing now exists. You guys should all go out this afternoon and buy two. In a similar way, Jesus' teachings in the Sermon of the Mount were revolutionary. Like this rapid-fill device, Jesus was challenging an old way of thinking, an old way of doing things, the old wisdom even for the upright and religious people. Sure, it was fine. It worked. You know, okay, these are good laws. They even come from the Hebrew Scriptures. They weren't making this stuff up. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Follow through with an oath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. You know, you put in an hour's worth of work, you get 100 water balloons, it's fine. But Jesus says, there's a better way. And he invites his followers to observe a greater commitment of faithfulness to God, one that truly honors God and loves your neighbor. He said, okay, if the standard is don't kill your neighbor, <laughs> don't murder, that's the standard that we're going to go for? How about check your heart? If you start to hate your neighbor and you're feeling like you're getting closer and closer to that point of murder, you should be careful what road you're going down. Don't wait till it gets to that point. Let's have a higher standard here. It's not just, uh, well, if they punch you, then you get to punch them back. Jesus comes along and says, well, how come the rule isn't just no punching? Let's, let's not be so violent toward each other. And he invites his followers to do the same. And he might even say, does that sound hard? Does that sound strange? Well, hey, come and watch me. Follow me around. Imitate me. I will show you that it's not only possible, but it's actually a better way of living. In the kingdom of God, the things that Jesus taught became the new industry standard. Jesus also changed the game when it came to prayer. 
He taught his followers how to pray, the prayer that we were led by Greg Brown earlier in our service. This is from Matthew chapter 6. This then, he tells them, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And if you're wondering where the thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever, that's in some uh, translations of the Bible. If you grew up with the old James, you're boom. It's right there. That sounds like the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but more scholarly research that came around, they decided, hey, there were some early manuscripts that don't have this. We think maybe that was added later. I don't really trip over whether or not to do the kingdom and the power and the glory thing, because I think that's a good thing to pray for anyway. Um, but in case you're wondering, hey, that doesn't sound quite like the complete Lord's Prayer. There's a little bit of a short explanation. Jesus actually took an existing Jewish prayer called the Kaddish. Everybody turn at somebody next to you and say, Kaddish. And he kind of upgraded it. He added to it. He said, this is the common prayer that a lot of Jewish people will pray. And it goes like this. Magnified and sanctified be his great name in the world he created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom during your lifetime and during your days and during the life of all the house of Israel speedily and in the near future, amen. That was the Kaddish prayer. And apparently Jesus thought something was missing in how that prayer was understood or even applied in the lives of God's faithful people. So he teaches his disciples how to pray. He gives them this familiar language of the Kaddish, but with some noticeable changes. One thing that you might notice right away is it starts with our Father. Not just Lord Almighty, creator of the universe, which you are out there somewhere, hope you hear my prayer, which he is and he does, but our Father, it's this family language. It's this reminder that God is in close relationship with his people. He's not sitting in a boardroom somewhere making decisions and sending his foot soldiers out to do his will. He is, he's as close to you as a parent who wants to snuggle up with their child. Our Father, Abba, Daddy, some translations say. He personalizes it. He brings God closer. And also, you may notice that the Kaddish prayer is very uh, love God focused, that vertical relationship between God and people which is good, uh, but what about the love others relationship, the horizontal plane of how we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves? Well, Jesus adds some things to this prayer to make that a little bit more balanced. He adds the three lines at the end. Give us our daily bread, forgive us as we've forgiven, and lead us not into temptation. And did you notice there's no me in the Lord's Prayer? There's three yours, uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, uh, your, will, your will be done. Three you, you, use, and then there's three us, us, us. Give us our daily bread. Uh, forgive us and lead us. Again, there's some following language there. Lead us as we follow you, not into temptation, but delivered from the evil one. You, 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 us, us, us. It's a balanced prayer, and it keeps us from being self-focused. It's about God, and it's about others. When we pray, we pray for God's will to work through us and affect us plural, our community. And this is important because the third thing we're going to hear Jesus say today when it comes to 
follow me, imitate me, is going to be a little bit more of a challenge. And it is deny yourself. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Or, in another part of Matthew, it's put a little bit more pointedly. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. We need to acknowledge that sometimes in the Gospels, Jesus says some things that sound kind of harsh and maybe are harder for us to take and run with. He's, here he is saying, deny yourself. And we think, oh, deny yourself. He's saying, prioritize me even more than you prioritize your family, the people who are most important to you, even your very life. And just since we're acknowledging that Jesus sometimes says harsh things, let's go to the harshest way that Jesus says this. In Luke chapter 14, Luke tells it like this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Okay, we got to unpack this a little bit. Because left on its own, it kind of sounds like Jesus is calling you to hate your family. Your very next question would be, what about the whole love God and, and love neighbor and, and love everyone? Doesn't that completely contradict what you've been saying? Well, put like that, or if you saw this verse in isolation, like embroidered on a pillow or something like that, hate your father and mother, Jesus said so. It might lead you to believe that that's what Jesus is saying. But like... Anytime we study scripture, we need to consider the context. We need to understand what he's saying, who it is that he's saying it, in what situation he is saying it, and how it was understood by his followers then, so that we as his followers now can apply it accurately. N.T. Wright has a good way of explaining what is happening here when Jesus says what he says uh, in Luke. And he, he tells it like this. Imagine that there's an expedition. And it's a group of mountaineers, and they're, they're traveling through the mountains so that they can get to a remote village where they can bring medical aid supplies to these people that, that live way out out uh, uncharted territory. And they get to a point in their expedition where the leader of the expedition says, all right, everybody, gather around. I need to tell you something. From this point on, things are going to get pretty dangerous. It's going to get kind of treacherous. I think what you guys should do is just take your, your backpacks off and set them down and leave them here because you're not going to be able to squeeze through all the little crevices with them. But don't be so attached to them because you might not see those backpacks again. I'm just warning you now. Also, before we set out on this next part of the expedition, you probably should write out those postcards to your family back home, your loved ones, because there's a chance that you might not see them again if you continue on. And the truth of the matter is, some of us might not be coming back. This is a dangerous mission. Who's with me? Uh, that's, that's kind of a scary pep talk from a, a mountaineering leader of this expedition. But in the same way, 
Jesus here is explaining the cost of discipleship and the potential consequences that his followers need to prepare for. He said that to his followers then, and I think there's some applicability for his followers now. Deny yourself means make kingdom priorities more important than Jacob priorities. Follow me means, Jacob, guess what? You're not going to be the one leading this expedition. I am. You're going to be following me. Jesus tells his followers, I want you to follow me, but I'm going to be honest with you. It's going to cost you something. But I need you to trust me because it's going to be worth it. This is one of those truths maybe we believe up here, but we have a hard time hanging on to. Or maybe it's not as obvious of an improvement in the world or in our lives as 100 water balloons in 60 seconds. I think that we all want to follow Jesus, but we still very much want to reserve the right to lead ourselves and to make final decisions. I think we're all willing to deny ourselves certain things, but we, we, we really need to have final say before things happen in a way that's out of our control. I think we all get very attached to our comforts and the amenities of this life. And we place a lot of uh, emphasis on things being predictable. Give me a nod if I'm not the only one who kind of feels that way. I was talking about what Jesus said to my, with my daughters earlier this week. We were talking about this passage, deny yourself. What does that mean? And I asked them, well, when you look at your mom and dad, what things in their lives do you think that they would have a hard time letting go of if Jesus called them to let go of some things for kingdom purposes? And uh, you should try this with people in your life sometime because it's an interesting list of what they'll come back with. Well, Molly and Ellie said, uh, well, one thing you would have a hard time living without is your comfy bed. I was like, yeah, that's, that's probably true. We, we do like our comfy bed. We've, we've tried out like four different mattresses in the last year and a half. We like things comfy. They also said, uh, you would have a hard time giving up coffee. And that is true. They said for Lisa, you would have a hard time giving up your fuzzy socks. They said for both of us, if anyone, for whatever reason, if you had to give up your cell phone, I don't think you could do it. But just flat out, don't think you could pull it off. Went, oh, okay, that's, that's pretty telling. The other thing that they, they said when asked about what would be things we would have a hard time giving up, they said, us. You guys love us. We're your kids. You could not live without us. I was thinking, well, I'm glad that you were able to identify that. You think very highly of yourself, so that's good. But they're absolutely right. They're like our, our most valuable thing in life. I don't know that, I can't imagine a situation where Jesus is going to ask us to give up our kids. But it's, an, it's a good exercise to kind of do a little inventory of the things in your life that you are holding very tightly onto. Because our inclination is to go to Jesus and ask like, okay, I want to follow you, but I need to know now exactly what it's going to cost. And I need to know what the road is going to lead to. And, and Jesus says, I, I, uh, I can't give you that information. You can't always know that. And we, but if you could just give me kind of an indication. Nope. So as followers of Jesus today, we have to ask ourselves, why in the world would anybody on that mountaineering expedition, after that crazy pep talk from the leader, why would they go on any further? Why would any sane person continue on in that expedition? I think it's because they believe in the cause. 
think it's because they're willing to calculate the risks and say, but you know what? If we can help out some people, there's a chance that this can go right. It's worth it. I think that the reason people are still willing to follow Jesus, even after warnings like the one we're hearing today, is because they trust the leader. If you trust the leader, you'll go into uncharted territory and you're willing to take the risk. So my cousin Daniel came up with a really cool marriage proposal uh, for his now wife, Angie. But the whole proposal, it was this big elaborate thing, but it was completely dependent on her being willing to follow instructions with very, very limited information. Here's what he did. They lived in Oklahoma City. He had a car pick her up from work in the middle of the day on Friday. And the instructions that he gave her were, get in the car. And she probably had a million questions in her head, like, who's driving this car? Where is this car going to go? And what's going to happen when I get there? But she didn't get that information. She got, get in the car. So she got in the car. And the car drove her to the airport. And the next instruction that she had to follow was, get on a plane. And again, more questions. Where, where is this plane going? Like, what, when am I going to be back? Am I going to be back? What about my suitcase? She didn't have that information. Get on the plane. So she got on the plane. The plane flew her to San Francisco, California. And then another car picked her up. And the instruction she was given, get in the car. <laughs> again, probably a lot of those same questions. Like, where, what, what, what's going on? When can I have a snack? Is there going to be a bathroom? Can I, can I get some information here? And she didn't. She was kind of kept in the dark. She got in the car. The car drove her to the Palace of Fine Arts. It's a beautiful location with the, the dome and the water, the walking path. Instruction was get out of the car and follow the path. Somebody had taken these white hearts and taped them to the ground about every 20 feet or so, leading her along a path. And the instruction was follow the path. Again, what was going through her mind? Where am I? What's going to happen? Is this going to be safe? Am I going to be okay? She trusted and she followed the path. The path led her to my cousin Daniel, who was there waiting for her with a hug and a song that he'd written for her and an engagement ring. And she said yes. And they got married. And that's the story of the, the most elaborate proposal ever. Daniel kind of ruined it for the rest of the, the guys out there who are going to try to do something thoughtful. Thanks a lot, Daniel. I don't know if anybody can top that. But we can ask ourselves, why did Angie get on the plane? Why did she get in the car? Why did she follow the path? But it's not the heart. We know the answer to that question. It's because she trusted Daniel. She knew the person who was calling her. She knew the person who was leading her. And even though she didn't know all the details of what was going to happen between here and there, you can probably bet by the end of that day, she kind of had a... a Suspicion that there was going to be a proposal involved. There was going to be this wonderful reunion with the man that she loved. So she didn't know all the steps, but she was still willing to follow. And if you know Jesus, and if you trust Jesus, then you'll follow him. You'll trust his instructions. You'll know that even if you don't know all the details along the way or what's going to happen between now and then, you know that the path of following Jesus will lead to a beautiful reunion with God. So we can ask ourselves this morning, where am I 
on the path to following Jesus. You might be somewhere in the middle. You might be doing this, like Angie going, where am I? Where is this leading? I, uh, I want to trust in you, but I'm a little nervous. I'm a little scared. I haven't had a checkpoint in a while, and I feel like I'm out here on my own. There's a lot of things that people are going through in their lives that can make them feel that way, like you're in between, and you're just taking a big leap of faith. That might be where you are on the path. You might be at the end of the path. You might be toward the end going like, Lord, this has been a good ride. I trusted you a long time, but I'm ready. Take me home. I'm ready for that reunion. You might be at the very beginning of the path of following Jesus. Maybe even like one foot on the path and one foot off, just because, I mean, I don't know. There's some uncertainty here. There's some risks that I'm hearing about in following Jesus. Maybe I'm going to hang back here just to play it safe. And that's understandable as well. And maybe there's some folks who have never taken that first step to following Jesus because they haven't heard that he's calling people to follow him. Or they don't know whether or not he is trustworthy. And it's a, it's a bit of a risk. It's not a completely blind decision that we make, though. What we know about Jesus and our experience of having trusted him, having followed him, I think it's yielded fruit. I think it's, it's proven itself in a number of ways. We hear those stories more and more as we journey with the church. Yes, following Jesus will change your life. Yes, it will cost you something. But the good news is that Jesus is trustworthy. Jesus set the example of denying yourself by going to the cross to die for you. And he is the Son of God. And he is alive today. And just like then, he calls each of us to trust in him and to follow him. Listen to his words. In fact, let's, let's stand up together. Listen to these words of Jesus. He says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So as we invite the praise team to come back up here and lead us in our final song, I just want to remind us that Jesus is trustworthy. He calls us to follow him, and it's a good road. But if you haven't heard the invitation, if you didn't know that Jesus is still making disciples even today, uh, I want to invite you to take that first step. Maybe that means opening up the Gospels and reading about his heart. Maybe that means coming and talking to me or somebody else in this church about what it means to follow Jesus, what it, what it costs, what, it's, what has it been like in the lives and the experience of faithful Christians throughout history. I'd love to talk with you more about that. Come and see me. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I got. Bill, take it away.